Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 18th day of June, 2022. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and it was certainly another week of turmoil and another week where the gloves not only have come off, but people are realizing that everything that's been so long coming is now here. Even the Fed had to admit that they're behind the curve. They panicked. They raised interest rates three-quarter percent, 75 basis points, and the whole world basically took notice and said, hmm, they're at least admitting that they can't control it anymore. And that seems to have really put a wooden stake in the stock market bubble, too, which is already into bear market territory in almost every major U.S. index. So let's start there this week, even though the FOMC meeting happened midweek, and then talk about the fallout. And I guess, in fairness, we do have to say that the Fed meeting revealed one of two things. Either they finally realize that they are way, way behind the curve and inflation is completely out of control. And, oh, even though it's too late, we better try to do something about it and at least look like we know what's going on. Or, and I tend to lean this way, folks, they realized, who are we kidding? There's no hiding the fact anymore that the Great Reset is what we've been working up to all along, and we might as well just pull out the stops and stick a fork in it. U.S. economy is done. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. (laughs) Yes, that's kind of, sort of, but late to the party. Expected. The Fed did hike interest rates on Wednesday by a stunning, but at least lately not unexpected, full 75 basis points, three-quarter percent, the biggest hike since 1994. Because, I hope you're sitting down, they are strongly committed to fighting inflation, now that they've succeeded in making sure it's completely beyond their control. They also sharply lowered their growth and employment outlooks, now that's not a surprise, and warned that, well, the pain is just beginning, but we already knew that. And it also looks like the global coordinated stagflation, in the name of the Great Reset, is not limited to the formerly free United States. But the death of a fully fiat global reserve currency does tend to have that effect. It is still, though, tough to ignore the WTF, or is it World Economic Forum, involvement in all of this. And to make that point, we'll do a quick headline review. Here's some of Zero Hedge's opening lineup Thursday morning, the day after. In a shock decision, they say, oh, how many of those are we going to see of late? The Swiss National Bank has hiked rates for their first time in 15 years and warned they may also, joining the global parade, sell billions in stocks. They've made a, quote, complete U-turn in their currency management policy. In no longer Great Britain, the pound tumbled after the Bank of England hiked rates 25 basis points, quarter percent, in a split decision. And that says coverage is a smaller move than what most global banksters are delivering up. But it does reaffirm worries about the potential for recession and sent the pound tumbling as much as 1% against the fiat dollar. And the BOE also dropped any guidance about future rate hikes. You'll just have to guess along with the rest of the world and see what it is that Klaus and company want. And it's gone, says another headline. World's billionaires see 1.4 trillion bucks in fake fiat wealth evaporate amid market turmoil. Australia's national energy market has been suspended. They say it's impossible to continue operating. And a clear signal that the energy crisis, where, well, worldwide, but this time, too, in eastern Australia, is intensifying. And there's this follow-up, of course, to the FOMC. Futures crash, and the Dow's down, well, at this point, over 700 points, as the reality of the current recession sets in. In our preview, they say, of how to trade the Fed's 75 basis point rate hike, we said to at first expect a knee-jerk move higher, especially if we get an outsized hike. 
hinting that the Fed is hoping to catch up to the curve, then a gradual drift lower, which was echoed later by Goldman. Sure enough, in the aftermath of the FOMC's announcement Wednesday, we got that knee-jerk move higher, and then overnight, the drift lower has appeared right on schedule, with futures tumbling in the U.S., undoing the entire post-FOMC move higher, and dragging global stocks lower, too, as traders come to grips with the realization that this full three-quarter percent bunch of rate hikes, far from being bullish, means that a recession is now, well, basically baked in the cake. And as I began the recording this morning, folks, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down over 700 points, with similar or worse losses across the board in indices like the S&P 500 and NASDAQ. They quote the chief market analyst at IG Group in London, Chris Beauchamp, who wrote, It hasn't taken long for the post-Fed bounce in stocks to fade, and given the gloomier outlook for growth, that's hardly surprising. We're still living in the same world we were 24 hours ago, one where growth is slowing, earnings are still falling, and prices, here's a shocker, just keep on rising. This, he wrote, is not a great environment for stocks. Finally, there's the real estate market meltdown, arguably just about on schedule. U.S. housing starts and permits collapse in May, says one more headline here from Zero Hedge. Amid surging layoffs in the real estate market, slumping home builder sentiment, soaring rates, and plunging mortgage applications, it's no surprise that analysts expected a drop in housing starts and permits in May. They were down 1.8% MOM and 2.5% month-over-month, respectively, while those numbers were destroyed themselves as housing starts crashed 14% month over month, while permits plunged 7%. And the drop was even more pronounced in housing starts for multifamily or rental units, which outright collapsed. All of this is the biggest drop in housing starts since the economy was shut down by Big Brother in April of 2020, courtesy, of course, of the COVID-1984 pandemic panic. From there, on we go to a bit of analysis, first courtesy of Ryan McMakin via the Mises Institute who recaps the FOMC's announcement. They raised the federal funds rate three-quarter percent from 1% to 1.75%. The June meeting was the third this year at which the FOMC has raised rates. But coming into March this year, however, the FOMC hadn't bothered to raise the target rate since March of 2020, even though price inflation began to accelerate. Some would even say move out of control. Your host was certainly one of those during the second half of 2021. And notably, this increase comes mere weeks after Fed Chairman Powell slapped down any idea of a 75 basis point increase in June. As reported by Reuters just a month ago, May 4th, Powell had insisted, quote, a 75 basis point increase is not something that the committee is actively considering, unquote. And yeah, that didn't last long. But the fact that the Fed was forced to hike the target rate, he says, by higher than they had claimed wasn't even going to be possible earlier in the year, is a reminder that the Fed and its so-called economists are simply in a reactionary mode when it comes to the U.S. economy's problem with mounting price inflation. And as even Powell admitted during the press conference, the Fed was surprised, shocked even, I tell you, by just how high price inflation has already grown. They then had to pivot in order to answer calls that the central bank do something, do anything about price inflation. But it's obvious, he continues, that when it comes to setting target rates, there is no model. The plan, to the extent that one even exists at all, is let's just see how bad inflation is, then we'll pick a target rate and hope maybe that solves the problem. Your host has suggested, of course, that the real way to phrase this is, no, they just back up until they hear glass breaking. And then sometimes they panic and hit the gas. 
But, continues the author, while some so-called Fed watchers are now framing their policy as exceptionally hawkish, Powell himself stated that, in his opinion, quote, right now our policy rate is well below neutral, and that a target rate of one and three-quarter percent is only moderately restrictive. So, says McMakin, if a 40-year high in inflation calls for only moderately restrictive policy that still remains below neutral, it's difficult to imagine just how much inflation will be necessary before the Fed finally regards truly restrictive policy as the right medicine actually necessary. Ask about the so-called dot plot and the suggestion of some Fed members that the target rate may reach 3.8% next year, but will even that be enough to rein in price inflation? Powell responded to the question by saying, well, we'll know when we get there, unquote. So I'll have to say it again. Keep listening for that sound of breaking glass. Zero Hedge's own team, writing as Tyler Durden, says that what with recession now being guaranteed, a one-term White House has begun to panic. Okay, we should take that with a grain of salt. This was their plan all along, and your host thinks that's now pretty much obvious. For the reasons that I don't think it's elections anymore they're worried about, it's how to successfully rig them, and then, again, successfully get away with it. They quote a bunch of Powellisms, which suggests he, maybe, still believes that it's blue skies as far as anyone can see. Things like, there's no sign of a broader slowdown in the economy, and real GDP growth has picked up this quarter. And yeah, even, quote, it appears the U.S. economy is in a strong position, which obviously isn't exactly true. And they quote Gundlach asking CNBC, well, just where is this strong economy people talk about? Meanwhile, the latest survey of CEO confidence outright refuted any happy talk from the Biden puppet. The conference board measure slipped to 42 in the second quarter, the lowest level since the onset of the pandemic, and down from 57 in just the prior period. And historically, they note, a reading of that level has coincided with profit recessions or negative year-over-year changes in earnings. What's even more remarkable, they go on to say, is that the latest estimates from Bloomberg Economics, a leftist pro-Biden media outlet run by Democrat billionaire Michael Bloomberg, admits that a recession by the start of 2024, barely even on the radar of leftist economists just a few months ago, is now virtually assured at at least a three in four probability. All of which means Biden is a one-termer. The mood they write has turned sour at an alarming pace, putting Biden at risk of joining an unenvied club. No, not just those that have gone senile in office, but from Jimmy Carter to George Herbert Walker Bush to Donald Trump, one-term U.S. presidents in the past half century all had their election hopes fatally injured by the lingering effects of a recession. Well, some of them actually had their election hopes dashed by fraud, but that's another story and you're not going to hear it from Bloomberg. This is cute, though. At least Biden's pollsters are starting to wonder how they're going to cover it up. Celinda Lake, one of Biden's top pollsters during the 2020 fake election, says her focus groups are awash with talk of the rising costs of things like gasoline and housing and how wages aren't keeping up with it. We ask, if the economy were the weather, how would you describe it? And she says voters have been describing things like storms and thunderstorms. And even by Wednesday, says Zero Hedge, it's been a hell of a week already for Biden. Monday, there was a bear market. Tuesday, mass layoffs. And Wednesday, of course, the Fed 75 basis point hike going into a recession. And it's only midweek. Which leads us to the real warnings in this piece. The White House certainly won't go down swinging, they suggest. The administration's economists have been modeling extreme scenarios from a new booga 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 coronavirus or maybe 
booga booga pox variant to even a bigger spike in oil prices. That's no doubt in their plans, folks. So they've prepared to act fast in case of an emergency that they've planned coming to fruition. Uh, This, according to a senior White House official who admittedly didn't quite phrase it that way. But as Zero Hedge notes, in short, better get ready for another surprise, an emergency shock meant to distract from the shit show that is Biden's economy and Powell's galloping inflation and bear market. Only after the fiasco that was the monkeypox false start, it's difficult to visualize just what, short of another staged war, like this time, say, over Taiwan, the Biden propaganda machine will come up with, or folks that his puppet masters have probably already come up with and are prepping to unleash. One thing is certain, though, you know they'll try. And you better brace for a very hot summer full of Soros-funded protests in both 2023, if not this year, certainly 2024, as the far left and their socialist Democrats go all in to avoid another humiliating sweep in 2024, what with Trump, they say, lurking in the shadows. From there, I guess it's time to go back and pick up some of the other stories starting earlier in the week, with the obvious question being where to begin. Even so, it's a target-rich environment, especially when it comes to disgusting, of which there was no shortage. We've done at least some of the economic meltdown. With no mushroom clouds yet, the continuing World War III has fallen off most people's radar. So instead, how about disfigured celebrities after being poked and repoked? How about reality TV from Washington? And it's even worse than Real Housewives from the Swamp. Nah, come on, really. Been there, done that, over and over and over again. Although we will get to some of it in a minute. How about this one? Well, we've heard it before, too, but let's get it out of the way up front. Not that it's in the least surprising, although it is, of course, disgusting. But maybe we'll start off with it because it just plain reeks of left-coast hypocrisy. The California State Assembly on Thursday passed what pro-life advocates have called the Radical Infanticide Bill, known as AB 2223. It passed by a vote of 48 to 21 in the far-left controlled state assembly and now goes on to the far-left state senate. And what's the latest from virtue-signaling wannabe mass murders? The new bill legalizes infanticide, or the death of newborns, up to seven days after they depart the birth canal. No wonder they're still so hot to disarm anybody that still has half a brain. All right, and honestly, I hadn't even intended to do this one, but it does fit so well here. A California-based, where else, pet shop and shelter hybrid will no longer allow their animals to be placed with people who, well, have half a brain and support the Bill of Rights as written, including the Second Amendment. Kim Silly, or I'm sorry, Sill, the owner of the Shelter Hope Pet Shop in Thousand Oaks, California, said that they'll find out if you lie to them about your views on guns, you constitutionalist libertarian, you, and then they'll sue you for fraud. Get this, quote, we do not support those who believe the Second Amendment gives them the right to buy assault weapons, unquote. Well, you know what, folks? Neither do I, because the Second Amendment doesn't give you the right to buy anything. It simply protects a pre-existing right to self-defense and the right to own property, including yourself, that comes from our creator, which I have a strong suspicion Kim is equally ignorant about. If your beliefs are not in line with ours, she pontificated, we will not adopt a pet to you. And they noted that their interviews for hopeful wannabe pet adopters who might meet the very high bar that they're going to set, well, the interview takes about an hour. And they require customers, Achtung, to allow them into your home. And we will check to see whether the physical inspection makes you politically correct enough or not. 
Some donors, she admitted to NBC News, admit they're stopping their donations if she won't get rid of the thought crime policy. If I go out of business, she said, I go out of business, and hey, folks, may it be so. But if you actually believe, this idiot said, that it is our, quote, responsibility to protect ourselves in public places and arm ourselves with a gun, well, don't come to us asking to adopt a dog. And the question just begs to be asked, for those naive enough to allow these pigs from Animal Farm into their home, what if these Nazis find a MAGA hat or a copy of the Constitution? Even worse, a Bible when they come inspect your home. But I'll say it again, if you've been paying attention, by now you ought to know better. Here's another tell-me-something-I-don't-know headline, but at least you ought to know it. Nuclear weapon strikes as a piece from the Daily Mail of all places. They're finally starting to at least admit a few things. Is more likely now than at any time since the Cold War, with the number of nukes in the world set to rise following 35 years of decline, warns a new report from the International Peace Research Institute. Joe Brandon, I agree. I don't know about you folks, but I tend to take the warnings from Sergei Lavrov and Vladimir Putin even more seriously. It's not like they didn't warn for months, even years, about the invasion of Ukraine, i.e. about what they would do if NATO and the U.S. kept poking the bear and threatening to put missiles right on their border. Here's one. So stupid and evil, it's almost funny. I alluded to it. Almost started off with it, but here we go now. U.S. Attorney General, what a pitiful excuse for a human being. Merrick Garland on Monday fired off an ominous warning to the once and actually re-elected President Donald Trump and his advisors when a reporter asked him about the reality TV show trials supposedly addressing January the 6th. The choreographed circus may be plumbing the ratings depths, but that doesn't prevent reporters from asking about it. Said perhaps, and this is quite a statement, folks, one of the worst in a long line of absolutely abominations masquerading as Attorney General Merrick Garland. I am uh, watching and I will be watching all the hearings. And I can assure you that uh, the January 6th prosecutors are watching all the hearings as well. Unquote. And after all, Survivor isn't on anymore. And it's not like they'd put it on opposite Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. After that, better tribe, folks, I guess fair is fair. The Gateway Pundit also has this up from Jim Hoft, quoting the President of the United States, the real one as opposed to the senile fake, who, after noting the abysmal ratings of the primetime scam last week, opined that ah, maybe the reason is no one likes being fed lies by soulless political hacks. But President Trump did publish a 12-page rebuttal to the Hollywood-produced pot of lies on Monday afternoon. And here's how that reads. Well, don't worry. I'm not going to rehash the rebuttal to the lies. Just the intro. Our nation, he said, is suffering. Our economy's in the gutter. Inflation is rampant. Gas prices have reached an all-time high. Ships are unable to unload cargo. Families cannot get needed baby formula. We're an embarrassment around the world. And I think he's understating the case a bit, folks, but let's let him continue. Our withdrawal from Afghanistan was a disaster that cost us precious American blood and gave $85 billion worth of the best military equipment on Earth to our enemy. Millions and millions of illegals, he said, are marching across the border and invading our country. We have a White House in shambles with Democrats just this week declaring that Biden is unfit to run for re-election, which is arguably also an understatement. And what he asked is the Democrat Congress focused on a kangaroo court hoping to distract the American people from the great pain they're experiencing. And you know what, folks? You ain't seen nothing yet. I'll follow that up with another quick reminder about the state of anything but justice in America. Not only are you not allowed to see almost all of the footage, 
of what really happened on January the 6th, you're not going to be allowed to see the footage of Nancy's drunken husband, Paul Pelosi, after he was arrested for drunk driving, because the Napa County DA seems to know who really matters and who doesn't. What do you bet if anybody on this video had the last name Trump, it would have been all over CNN, MSNBC, and all the ministries of truth by now. Here's the laugher, folks. In response to Freedom of Information Act requests from various actual news sources, they respond that, eh, we're not going to give it to you because it might jeopardize an ongoing investigation. <laughs> yeah, isn't that a laugher? Like, who are we going to be able to blame this on? We're still investigating. Christina Lalo notes, hey, you know what? It's a bit late for that because, after all, they let Paul Pelosi sit for over four hours and sober up a bit before they even gave him a blood alcohol test which still managed to come out at pelosifying levels. All week long, of course, more information came out about the meltdown of the big COVID lie and the masses of deaths only just beginning. Yet another study, writes Steve Watson for InfoWars, has come right out and admitted what we've been suspecting and seeing increasingly for quite a while now. A new study, this time conducted by the National Bureau of Economic Research, or NBER, found that conservatively, and that's kind of an odd way to put it, isn't it, there were at least 170,000 non-COVID excess deaths in the United States through 2020 into 2021. The restrictive lockdowns, idiotic mask mandates, and other things that you probably know all too well about have all contributed to a massive spike in excess deaths with a 26% jump in mortality rates for working-age adults in America. Things were bad in Europe, too, except for Sweden, which didn't actually do the stupid stuff and didn't suffer nearly as badly for it. And the study went on to note that the real number is probably closer to 200,000 now-dead Americans because of these so-called unmeasured COVID deaths. That is, people who may have died only with the virus and not actually from it. If, well, for the first time, they started to take those into account. And interestingly, folks, they're still not coming right out and really telling you what the problem was. Not just stupid, idiotic things that caused more people to die, like the business destroying lockdowns and mask mandates, which really didn't help at all, but all those other things that resulted in higher rates of suicide, direct and indirect, don't forget drug abuse and alcoholism, and of course, as we now know, vaccidents and vaccine injuries and uh, deaths associated with destroying people's immune systems, heart, pulmonary and lung function, and now brain function to boot. Here's a related story, courtesy of the Exposé and Vox Day, about excess deaths, this time in the UK, which has recently published information showing that the vaccinated population in England had a higher, no, not lower, mortality rate per 100,000 folks, who could have thought it, than the unvaccinated population. And the analysis found, they added, that it takes about five months from the time of receiving the COVID-19 stroke, poke, clot shot, Zyklon B injection for the elevated mortality mortality rate to be realized. Now it says the UK government data on deaths in England and Wales has added still further weight to the above findings because the UK has again been experiencing excess deaths since the end of April 2022, about five months after the mass winter booster poison poke vaccination campaign. And here's the punchline. Yeah, we've been talking about this on this show as well. The vax is a ticking time bomb that activates, statistically speaking, about five months or so after the boost. You've all seen the uptick that has baffled, I say baffled, so-called doctors when it comes to the sudden uptick in SADS or sudden adult death syndrome. 
It's oh so mysterious, but it does seem to kind of show that the COVID-19 not-vax significantly increases the risk of death and manages to kill people, peaking about five months after the poke. Notes Fox Day, while statistical studies only address correlations rather than causality, they're still more reliable than they don't take nearly as long as published peer-reviewed scientific studies due to the obvious and increasing corruption of the scientific profession, science publications, and of course, those who are on the take to feed you the big lie and the poison poke. The big takeaway, suggests Vox Day, is that a person who has taken the injection isn't out of the woods just three months post-vax either. Remember, the lethality approach wasn't all that subtle, considering more people would have been refusing to be vaxxed if the effects had come on too much faster. That takes us to the break, but hardly the end. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back now to the second segment of the show for this evening. And let's kick this one off with a few stories that answer some questions you're not supposed to ask. For example, why are so many U.S. military airplanes and helicopters suddenly crashing? Could it be the poison poke? Oh, no, don't even think that. Well, here's a piece from Natural News and Ethan Huff that says we've now seen the third military aircraft in a week crash in Southern California alone. Could it be the Zyklon B? The Biden Fuhrer's fully poked U.S. military is having trouble keeping its aircraft in the skies, certainly in Southern California, with three different planes and helicopters having crashed in the desert in less than just one week. The latest incident involved a Navy MH-60S Seahawk that was conducting a routine training flight from the Naval Air Facility El Centro when it suddenly took a nosedive into the dirt. The site of the crash is about 35 miles north of Yuma, Arizona, as revealed on a social media posts. All four of the air crew aboard the helicopter survived, although one sailor reportedly suffered non-life-threatening injuries and was taken to a nearby hospital. A similar incident occurred just two days prior with an even more tragic outcome when an MV-22B Osprey, that's the tilt rotor aircraft, crashed into the same area, leaving five Marines dead. And just a few days before that, an FA-18 Super Hornet crashed near Trona, California, about 250 miles from Naval Air Station Lemoore and 400 miles north of El Centro, killing Navy pilot Lieutenant Richard Bullock. The same day as that crash, 29-year-old electronics technician second class John Del Toro died in a car accident while returning from training at Camp Billy Macon in Nyland, just north of El Centro. And according to reports, Del Toro and four other sailors were driving around 10 p.m. when their vehicle suddenly had a vaccident going off the road and smashing into a large boulder. Military.com tries to soft-pedal it this way. 
Although the series of incidents paints a grim picture, it's important to note that, given the information available, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, nothing except the obvious, folks, seems to connect all of the mishaps. I'll let that sink in for just a second. Because, after all, the three aircraft crashes involve three different platforms. The aircraft themselves were based out of three different bases. And meanwhile, the Highway Patrol in California is saying that they're looking into whether seat belts were employed in the deadly car crash or not. What are you not going to hear? Yeah. But you already know the answer in this case. Every single one of the pilots or drivers involved here had taken the poison poke or they wouldn't still be allowed to be in the military. And as Natural News points out, now we're even seeing the admission of SADS, or Sudden Adult Death Syndrome, as yet another excuse for why it is all of a sudden healthy young people are dying like flies. If you've been paying attention, you know the answer. It's just that Big Brother and his public-private partners wants to make sure you're not allowed to ask the question. Here's another one. It's a two-parter, starting with who? Yeah, the whores in the World Health Organization revoking everything sacred, who've announced that they're working with scientists, and you know what that means, to develop a new name for the monkeypox virus that might be scarier but won't be, quote, discriminatory and stigmatizing because they want to employ woke ideals, it seems, in virology. Tedros himself, of who announced on Tuesday the organization was working with partners and experts from around the world to change the name of the monkeypox virus, its clades, and the disease it causes, because they want to minimize the negative impact and avoid causing offense to any cultural, social, national, regional, professional, or ethnic groups. Oh, they left out sexual preferences, it seems, because here's the related story, folks, courtesy of Zero Hedge and the UK Health Agency and Paul Joseph Watson via Summit News, a survey of monkeypox cases by that UK health agency has found, uh-oh, no wonder they want to change the name and prevent you from hearing about this, that 151 out of 152 participants who came down with the booga booga pox are men who just happen to identify as, quote, gay, bisexual, or men who have sex with men. And overall, out of 314 cases so far, 99 percent of them, or 311, were men. Just three confirmed with females, and uh, nowadays I guess you even have to wonder what that means. No wonder they're kind of disappointed so far in the rollout of the next worldwide pandemic. Watson suggests that despite monkeypox cases being overwhelmingly among gay men, critics now are suggesting that encouragement by health authorities for gay men who suspect they may have caught the virus to refrain from having sex with other guys is homophobic and a form of stigmatization. How far are we, actually, from a time when you'll have to show somebody a monkeypox blister or be labeled homophobic? Well, wait a second. That kind of runs at odds with the booga-booga scare, doesn't it? And if you think about it, folks, the facts here are going to make it even tougher to sell the mask mandate, except among the terminally stupid this time around. Yeah, they need a new variant, and they need it now. I wonder what their tabletop simulation suggests. In the People's Republic of Communist Canada, meanwhile, they're ready for whatever the next pandemic might end up being. On Wednesday, Canada raised the bar and redefined, and certainly not for the first time, the word fully vaccinated for people unfortunate enough to live under the regime of the junior Castro dictator Trudeau, saying, quote, two doses don't work anymore. And now you got to have three in order to be fully poisoned, poked and meet their requirements. And don't ask this question either, but you know there's more coming, don't you? 
The news update said this is what is expected of all Canadians. And guess what, folks? Trudeau again has tested positive for the Fauci bioweapon flu. And that's his second time around, too, in spite of being fully vaxxed for COVID-1984. And I won't even read you what this blithering idiot lying moron said about it. But basically, ah, yeah, I keep taking the poke, keep having the same thing over and over again, and keep trying to sell you the same bill of goods. Are you crazy? Or just plain stupid? Stupid is stupid does, Mrs. Blue. I guess. All right, well, next we go from the idiotic to the ridiculous to the what do you call it after that. But we're there. Via TGP and Michael Robeson. Fact checkers. How's that for a misnomer? But maybe they actually got one right. You know what they say about a blind pig. From far-left media giant, the criminally negligent network itself, CNN, have now pushed back on claims made by the Biden Fuhrer, the senile hand puppet masquerading as marionette-in-chief, when he said last month, I reduced the federal deficit. That's after he invented the Internet and solved world hunger, no doubt. Oh, yeah, and let's not forget how he made gas prices so affordable. But in a speech last month, you may remember, Biden repeatedly claimed that he personally reduced the national deficit, saying, let me remind you again and again and again and again, I reduced the federal deficit. Maybe he just kept getting the same cue card, not realizing he'd read it. But now, even CNN has been forced to report the following. Their economic experts say that Biden is, quote, distorting reality, as well as his diapers, I guess, when he claims that he is personally responsible for the deficit going down. (sighs) I like this. Senior VP at the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. How's that for a laugher? Mark Goldwyn told CNN, I guess on TV Live, that Biden's claims of personally reducing the national deficit are, quote, almost a bizarro world. Referring to that Superman comic book universe in which everything is backward. And here again, folks, your host can't help but think, yeah, they ripped that off from the Bible, too. If you remember, replacing bitter for sweet and calling evil good and good evil, things like that. But no doubt about it, and any way you phrase it, we're there. One thing that is definitely bizarre world, but is not being pointed out by the waste media, the Ministry of Truth, and all those liars trying to get you to believe that January 6th was a real riot, unlike all the burning and looting and arson you saw last summer and are fixing to see again, is that they're lying through their damnable teeth, what else is new, about the so-called insurrection. And how bad is it? How ridiculous is it? Well, it's so bad that even Rachel Maddow had to admit on TV, wow, this is a shocker, that the rally for Trump had nothing to do with the breach at the Capitol. And as Zero Hedge pointed out, Capitol Police Chief J. Thomas Manger had to debunk a far-left committee allegation that GOP lawmaker Barry Loudermilk of Georgia ran a reconnaissance mission inside the Capitol one day before the riot. He called BS in a letter to Representative Rodby Davis of Illinois, ranking Republican on the House Administration Committee, after reviewing security footage of Loudermilk giving people a tour of congressional office buildings. There's no evidence, said the police chief, that Representative Loudermilk entered the U.S. Capitol with this group on January the 5th, and he noted, we train our officers to be alert for people conducting surveillance or recon. We don't consider anything that we observed as suspicious. Oops, I don't think he meant that they haven't been watching the J6 committee idiocy. 
On a related subject, though, here's a story from Jim Hoft at TGP that bears noting. Always remember and never forget, he says, an Antifa BLM leader that was filmed inside the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, who did break a window and who did organize an Antifa rally near the Capitol that day, even though he wore a MAGA hat and pretended to be a Trump supporter during the riots, only spent one day in jail. Militant BLM and Antifa activist John Sullivan, even on his own Discord server, shows the so-called civil rights activist reveling inside the U.S. Capitol on January 6th and damaging federal property. He's a leader of Utah's Antifa BLM movement and has previously been arrested there. He organized an Antifa insurgents rally on January 6th at the Washington Monument just hours before they stormed the U.S. Capitol. The Waystream media, of course, refuses to report these facts, although TGP has the video. The story says an Antifa leader named Jaden X also spent only one night in jail and then was released, while Trump supporters, who merely stood outside the Capitol and committed no violence on January 6th, many of them are still languishing in the gulags now for well over a year. So isn't the double standard here? Well, not for the first time. Certainly revealing, though. John Sullivan even bragged about posing as a Trump supporter and breaking a window at the U.S. Capitol. And he's not behind bars compared to those who actually didn't do anything nearly as nasty as this fella. And that, in fact, brings me to some follow-up observations about that so-called right-wing extremist white supremacist. Yeah, you can fill in the rest of the blanks yourself. The left-stream media, though, calls them terrorists. But the Daily Mail and other federal agencies, oops, wait a minute, did I really say that? Well, let's just say various public-private partners, with and without three letters in their media name or agency name, are calling Patriot Front. Vox Day calls him a fake, and he makes a pretty good point. Quote, fake and gay and fake some more. Patriot Front couldn't glow any harder if you bathed each and every agent in a nuclear reactor for 24 hours. No one in the entire history of government enforcement, he notes. And listen carefully to this, folks. The Daily Mail did show photo after photo after photo of these, uh, they look like feds to me too, I'll admit, people... Well, no one, he says, in the history of government enforcement has ever been arrested and then permitted to keep wearing their hats and sunglasses, much less their masks. This, obviously, is pure theater. And that's a pretty compelling point. certainly makes sense if you think about it. If all of these feds were unmasked and then photographed by the Daily Mail and it ran all over the world, they're going to have a tough time pulling that same stunt again at the next false flag. They may even get outed before their next planned mass shooting event. Far better people, however, than those who commit perjury for traitors are going to jail. Dr. Simone Gold, who committed the terrible crime of telling people how to deal with the booga booga COVID-1984 bioweapon without having to take the poison poke, has been sentenced to two months in prison, a massive fine and a year of ankle bracelet wearing or a supervised release for daring to speak with a megaphone inside the U.S. Capitol on the day when the First Amendment had a wooden stake put in it. January 6th, during the election fraud time frame, 
District of Criminal Judge Sick Christopher Cooper told Dr. Gold that her anti-vaccine activism wasn't a factor in her sentencing. Now it's just the fact that she's an American was enough to make sure she knows who's boss. Cooper said Gold wasn't a casual bystander, though, and he said that Gold's organization has misled supporters into believing, who could imagine such a thing, that her prosecution was politically motivated. No, folks, you'd have to be a blithering idiot not to see that it is and that they're sending people to the gulag for far less than those who deserve to go to prison for real crimes like genocide and treason are getting away with. Writes Christina Layla for TGP, Dr. Gold committed no acts of violence. She only wanted to speak her medical opinion concerning the coronavirus. And for this, she was placed in the front row of the FBI's most wanted release. And then subjected to a Roger Stone-style takedown, as she put it, by literally 20 guys with guns blazing. One of several stories I've seen lately comparing the well, attack, war, which is called treason, if you actually read the Constitution, against the American citizenry with what's being done to, say, foreign invaders, comes from Victor Davis Hanson. He called it the subordinate citizen and begins by noting he recently led a group of about 100 people on a tour of Israel for nearly two weeks, all of them U.S. citizens. But before returning to the United States, the participants had to indicate their booga booga vaccination status and take a COVID-1984, admittedly bogus though, PCR test in order to be allowed to re-enter their own country. Anxiety swept the group as the testers swabbed them because anybody testing positive would have to delay his or her return, probably spend thousands of dollars finding scarce hotel accommodations, living expenses, and rebooking airline tickets, depending upon the length of their mandatory sequestration. So, he says, think about it, contrast that with the tens of thousands or arguably hundreds of thousands of foreign nationals now mustering south of the border to cross illegally across the border of the once sovereign United States. And they follow on the heels of the already two million who've entered the country unlawfully since the puppet masters for the Biden Fuhrer rigged and stole the election. He asks it this way, does any foreign national actually worry about being tested for COVID-19, or for that matter, anything else, much less fear being turned away if he tests positive or lacks proof of vaccination? Of course not. So isn't it funny that we scrutinize far more carefully actual legal U.S. citizens re-entering what they thought was their own country legally than we do non-citizens invading our country unlawfully? And for that matter, let's consider the government is still determined to fire thousands of federal workers and, of course, U.S. military personnel who have refused to take the mandated poison poke, a.k.a. DNA mods known as mRNA not vaccinations. Most citizens who have declined to be vaccinated fear, rightfully, that the injections are dangerous, basically untested, except on guinea pigs who are showing that oh, they should never have been emergency use authorized to begin with. Certainly ineffective in preventing COVID-19 infections and that they wouldn't necessarily, no, not ever, lead to herd immunity. So you got to ask, are 2 million unvaccinated foreigners arriving unaudited from impoverished countries less of a threat somehow during the pandemic than fully audited American citizens employed by the federal government? Why would we fire unvaccinated Americans but welcome equally unvaccinated illegal invaders? 
Well, there is a reason, folks. We've talked about it here for a long time, but he's working up to it, and actually quite nicely, too. Remember how the now Biden Fuhrer blasted President Trump's southern border wall, and then, when the opportunity arose, canceled all further funding for it? But the same team just approved $40 billion to Ukraine to ensure that its border isn't porous against Russia, 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 and their aggression. And that 40 billion bucks would have completed the entire southern border wall several times over. Furthermore, he doesn't say this, but I will. Other analysts have noted that the weaponry that's being sent to Ukraine will, in fact, diminish what the United States has for its own defense. And maybe that's a big part of the equation anyway. I guess, after all, if you're going to kill off a bunch of soldiers, sailors, and Marines, you really don't need weapons for them to use to defend a country you intend to destroy from within, right? So, he says, any rational observer might conclude that the U.S. government intends to uphold the universal idea of natural sovereignty, internationally recognized borders, and the security of citizens inside its own country, well, at least as long as they're not natural-born American citizens. There are currently, he has over 550 sanctuary jurisdictions established by state and local governments, or at least those now masquerading as them. And they aim, or so they say, to prevent federal immigration authorities from deporting illegal alien invaders, including tens of thousands detained by law enforcement for committing any number of heinous additional crimes, from rape to murder. The United States hasn't experienced such blatant nullification of federal law, arguably since the pre-Civil War era, or maybe the 1960s when Southern governors defied federal efforts to enforce civil rights legislation. But he asks another important question. Can any citizen now simply vote to declare their hometown or their local county immune from federal legislation? Now, full stop here just for a second, and ironically, I have to note, back when we had a rule of law, there was something called 16 Amjur Section 177, which told us that an unconstitutional statute is, although having the form and name of law, in reality, no law at all. It's wholly void, ineffective for any purpose whatsoever, and is thus inoperative. Void, not real law. No one's bound to obey an unconstitutional law. No courts are bound to enforce it. Well, suffice it to say, although we'll come back to this if time permits, that is not what these states are doing. What they're doing is saying, we want the United States to be invaded and destroyed. And we're going to do anything we can to rip down the Constitution and any actual law that's consistent with it. But still, though, Victor Davis Hansen is making a great point. Can any citizen simply now vote to declare their hometown or local county immune from, let's even put it this way, unconstitutional, anti-law so-called legislation. Can a city or county nullify as it pleases? Well, things like the U.S. or IRS tax code, various unconstitutional endangered species laws, or, of course, the total travesty of federal gun registration, red flag laws, and anything else that infringes the once constitutionally protected Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. Or is nullification only permissible if it's in the interest of non-citizens, invaders, lawbreakers, you know, those who want this country destroyed? These asymmetries, and that's an interesting term he picks there, also transcend non-citizens. We've developed, it seems, an entire class of American elite citizens, think Hitler, Obama, and of course the Biden Fuhrer, who are not subject to enforcement of the law, certainly not the way that it's applied to lesser peons who are either less influential or not as politically correct. Federal prosecutors, for example, sought to jail retired Lieutenant General Michael Flynn for six months for 
uh-oh, lying to federal agents. But wait, when it comes to Michael Sussman, lawyer for Hitler, <laughs> hardly. What's good for the goose is not good for the gander. And yeah, Orwell was right. Some animals really are a lot more equal than others. They also put Trump subordinate George Papadopoulos in jail for lying to federal prosecutors. Recently, though, in contrast, the FBI stormed onto an airport to arrest a former Trump advisor, Dr. Peter Navarro, for contempt of a mere congressional subpoena. But wait a minute. What about Eric Holder? He brazenly defied congressional subpoenas, plural, and was found in contempt of Congress, an historic first. And you remember what happened to him. Or maybe you don't, because he simply went on to, basically, let's call them what they were, greater and greater bribes. So defying federal law has consequences, well, unless you're allowed to do it. James Clapper, former director of national intelligence, how's that for a whopper, confessed that he flat out lied under oath to a congressional committee. And you know what happened to him? Or again, maybe you don't answer nothing. How about former CIA chief John Brennan, who lied under oath twice and nothing happened to him? He did, though, still get to participate in the insurrection against Trump. Deputy FBI Director, the evil Andrew McCabe, repeatedly lied to federal investigators as acting director of the FBI, and not one of these people were arrested or tried in the manner of any number of Trump associates and constitutionalists and conservatives and even libertarians, people like Flynn, Papadopoulos, Navarro, and the list goes on, especially a whole bunch of people held in the federal gulag since January the 6th. There are lots and lots of reasons, says Victor Davis Hanson, why the looming November midterms will probably see historic levels, and they should, of pushback against the tyrannical Biden regime, along with other Democrat, socialist, Bolshevik candidates, and the entire so-called progressive agenda. Now here, folks, again, I have to note, we'll see, even if it's not reported, how many of those votes end up getting counted. More importantly, whether it's enough to matter, and of course, those who once again will no doubt try to pull the wool over Americans' eyes, probably still think that even if they get caught, they own the just-us system, and nothing of consequence, this time too, would dare happen to them. Take your pick among the many self-induced Biden disasters arguably most of them planned, things like hyperinflation, gasoline and diesel completely unaffordable, out-of-control crime rates, foreign policy humiliations, like Afghanistan, which coincidentally armed terrorists, even while honest Americans, are being disarmed by that same regime. But one reason, suggests Victor Davis Hanson in conclusion, that voters are furious is rarely expressed. Americans feel that ordinary citizens like them, who follow the rules, obey what, even if they're wrong about it, they think amounts to law, are treated a lot more harshly by what they thought was their own government than are both non-citizens and illegal invaders and the so-called progressive elites that want them not only ruled over with an iron fist, but in most cases, dead. They're right, he says, they're angry, and hopefully we'll feel the heat from them very soon. We'd better, folks, because it's getting awfully late.